Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart. And I'm very forgiving, but like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hills and Adonis, mm-hmm. back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then mm-hmm. a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's how we own it! What's good, family? It's your girl, Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of Street Politicians, the the place where the the streets streets and and politics politics meet. My son, Lennon, listen. What's going on? Another day, another show, another Another day above ground. Blessed be us. Blessed be the peacemakers. Blessed be those who fight the good fight every day. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, uh, it is so interesting, the weather and how I'm freezing today. And the other day, y'all people was wearing shorts. I told y'all not to wear no shorts. I said, wow, it was wear shorts because it's not the time. So Remember? when we leave to go to Miami and we get in Miami and it's 100 degrees, so we still be wearing coats in Miami because we know we're not a coat, not a coat. But I do not a coat. But but when I go to Miami in the wintertime in New York, uh-huh. you go I to the beach. I don't know. No, you go to the pool or the beach. I don't go to the beach. About? I you might go to, the pool, to get the pool, but I do when With I go out at night. I try to make sure that I don't wear my ultra summer clothes. I wear my like in the middle stuff. 
I wear pants. Pool. I'm just trying to tell you that if you're in New York and the weather is a hundred, it was 80 degrees the other day. It's clearly said this week it was going to be 50s and 60s. And so you dress accordingly. That's how you get sick. So you so you you don't get sick by dressing like it's 50 or 60 when it's 80, but you get dressed for dressing like it's 80 when it's 50 or 60. What are you that didn't make when I say that whatever you just said just now did not make sense, I need you to know. I'm gonna say it again. Mm -hmm. So you get sick when it's 80, and you if you don't dress like it's 50 and 60, right? But if it's 50 and 60. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. You ain't got it. Just let it go because it's not. I get what you're trying to no, say. I know, I know I was saying something. I just <laughs> lost the camera coming back with it. <laughs> yeah, no. The bottom line is if the weather is not going to be consistently 80s and you go changing to 80 and then you got to dress like it's 50 or 60, 50, no matter what. No, but what I'm I'm basically what I'm trying to say is you, you don't, don't need get a jacket, to- but you shouldn't wear shorts and a tank top. You should so wear is this. the thin this is sweats and a nice shirt. If you got too much clothes on, you don't get sick. Right? If, if it's 80 degrees not and you got much. way too many clothes on, no, but you, I'm not you don't get sick. But if it's 80 degrees and you dress like it's 80 degrees, you're going to get sick. No, that's not. No, that's you're not saying it right. I'm saying it right. If you dress <laughs> like it's 80 degrees. When it's 50 and it's 50 the next day, the next day it's 50, it drops. Yes. And that's why you get dressed like it's 50 the next day. It's not. No, it does. That's what I'm saying. That's what makes you sick. Everybody knows that, that what makes you sick is switching with the weather or trying to like dress hot today. And then tomorrow the weather changes so drastically. That's what gets people sick. Like this is a known fact. Like stop. So you don't think if your body is all overwarming because you got on way too much clothes? I wasn't overwarm. I I didn't get summertime fine. I just wore. But you still sick? I wore. I'm not sick. What you is said you was. No, you I said didn't you was getting say sick. That. You had a cold. No, that bruh. I know you don't pay that much attention. That was three weeks ago. I am not sick. I don't feel a sickness in my body. And even then, we have established that it was as a result of allergies that oh, I was that, that was last week. Yeah. So this is, you know, it wasn't three weeks ago. It was last week when you said these allergies were doing things to you. So don't say you weren't sick. And I, it was three you weeks know ago. what? Listen, whatever. Allergies. It was allergies. allergies. Barking like a dog. <laughs> Oh, I'm yeah. sick again. I don't know what it is. I'm sick. And it was allergies. Okay. 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 Moving right along. Would you like to talk about the news of what's happening in our I mean, if, if there's news to talk about. So um, we just left Jalen Walker's family and his attorneys. Um, and Terrible. a bunch of people, let me give a shout out to Paige White, who we should have on the show. Paige White is an attorney. Um, she works with uh, Bobby DiCello, who is the lead attorney on the Jalen Walker for the Jalen Walker family. Um, and Paige is the legal coordinator, if you will. She's the person who is uh, involved in the day-to-day management of 
um, that, that particular situation and protecting and, and standing with the family. So we have to make sure that we bring Paige on to talk about what's happening there in uh, Akron, Ohio. Um, and she also works with Attorney Crump. Um, so, you know, one thing I, I am now learning that many of the Black lawyers, many of them, not all, but many of the Black lawyers across the country are working together in some way, shape, or form. They're, they're, and a lot of them are working with Ben Crump being sort of the of counsel in local areas. We just had Sue Ann Robinson on last week who talked specifically about, you know, being of counsel to attorney Crump, which means that she's working on certain cases where um, attorney Crump is able to advise, he's able to play his role, which is a very important role of bringing the necessary attention and the legal strategy um, to these cases. While people like attorney Sue Ann, folks like Paige, Paige White, and a number of others around the nation are there on a day-to-day -day basis. So people think there's no strategy, there's nothing, it's just hip hop and lop dot, and it's not actually, it's very clear, there is structure. And to be honest, you know, again, the misconception is that uh, these lawyers and specifically attorney Crump has been losing cases. Oh, and I still see it. I think we've done you a still good see job. That again. They still say that. But it's not as bad. I think we've oh. done a good job. His documentary helped um, because I know a lot of people wrote me and said, you know what? I really did not care for Ben Crump because I read things online. And now that I watched this documentary, I had an opportunity to see and understand it from a different perspective. And then between Teslin, our sister Teslin, our, our, our podcast um, uh, uh, sibling and her straight, and straight shot, no chaser. Um, but she talks about she's always, always making sure people understand what Ben Crump's role is, what he does how he shows up and how he wins cases. Almost, he 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 has probably the best record in terms of any civil rights lawyer across the nation, specifically black lawyers, um, which people don't necessarily know that. So there is strategy. There are people working. And in this particular case, Jalen Walker is one of those things where, um, you know, it, it, I think for in this particular situation, and you could say different, but I think it's going to take a combination of a powerful legal team alongside a very strong community response to force the federal government to get involved because it seems to me that it they want to put sweep it under the rug and use the fact that he had a gun in an open carry state, by the way, an open carry state. He had a gun and that that's supposed to make it all go away. And I think there should still be rules even when somebody has a gun. I think, I mean, you're hundred percent right. And I think especially in an open carry state, I, and I think, you know, the reality of the situation is we constantly see the fact that if we don't have a video that shows the police doing things all the time. And even then, and even then, we got to fight. Like, we don't even use common sense no more. You know, when you look at Jalen Walker, this is a man that was shot, 46 shots in his body, 90 shots shot at him. He was outside the car, and the gun was inside the car. 
He was gunned down while the gun was inside the car. These are facts. So, you know, we're able to take serial killers who walk in, walk into the supermarket and you, you see them shoot gunned down with automatic weapons. You could literally get the call and say they just killed 10 people, shot eight, nine people in here and able to walk out with their weapon, with their hands in the air. Nobody takes one shot at them. Right. They say that Jalen Walker, their position is that he um, shot the gun. He, yeah, he shot the gun once on the highway or in a different area. Then when they approach him and he starts running, which he doesn't have the gun. And in fact, we saw in the video, people have watched the video and the commentators have said, you can see he does not have anything in his hands, but they say he reached. And when he reached, they thought the same gun that he used to fire this one shot elsewhere was going to be pulled out. Now, here's my thing. My thing is this, what is, okay. So my thing is this. I really, because I, I just need to understand how police are policing. What is the strategy, right? If, if somebody has a gun, right, and we know they have a gun, but we they they haven't proven to be detrimental to us, right? They in an open carry state. In an open carry state, they haven't proven anything that they're trying to. Because a lot of times, some people just don't want you, you to know they got the gun. Well, if, if you're a black person, yeah, like, a black person, they play. Look, I don't want to get pulled over with this gun. He's trying to get put it away. He's trying to do all this shit. Like, man, he's going through some shit. You don't know what's going on. What is the procedure for you to engage? Are the police supposed to engage every person like it's a hostile situation? Because that's what it seems like to me. It's like every time they engage somebody, if I don't fire a shot at you. If I like my thing is this, I I think there should be a level of distance. If you think I got a gun, police get behind cars, they 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 get on their, their monitors, they say put your hands up, they give you instructions. If you run and we start chasing you, you know what I'm saying? If all of these things happen, what is the, the level of engagement for somebody that you think has a weapon without you just killing them? Well, I think I think that is at the center of it should be the center of debate. But there's another element. And the other element is what you tell me as the police, I don't trust because we see too many times where they lie. You know what he reached. Do you know? First of all, he didn't have. Well, that's, a gun. And that's the same thing. That, that's the same thing. That's the same thing with Tyree Nichols. When you look at Tyree Nichols and that's what's so dangerous to me. When I look at the Tyree Nichols case and I don't think and I haven't heard anybody really you know, drive home this fact. If you look at each of the body cams footages of the officers, they created a scenario that made it seem like he was resisting arrest. Mm -hmm. From that body cam footage that you see, it just sees him moving around. You just see they moving so fast. They just look and they say, stop resisting. They they created a scenario that showed a man resisting arrest so they had to fight him. You can see in the video, he was not doing it. And then when you see from the over... When right. you look at this right. camera, it's a completely different. So th- what, what I'm trying to say is they are skilled in creating a scenario that right. doesn't he reached, even exist. He reached, he reached, it's probably like if we were doing number one lies that law enforcement tells, is he, reached? he reached would be in the highest percentile in my judgment. 
And I, and one of the reasons why I say that is because it, first of all, you hear it all the time. I mean, it's just a regular, like it's like that slides off the tongue. He reached, right? But if a person doesn't have a gun, then he could, what was he reaching for? He didn't have it. It was in the car. So if he, if the gun is in the car and you saying he reached, what was he reaching for? Nothing. So he was reaching for the nothing. And, and I'm not saying he didn't reach. Right. I'm not saying he didn't reach. I wasn't there. What I'm saying is that that particular statement is used so often. It's like a man who constantly tells his wife, oh, my phone died. You know, every time he's supposed to be home at a certain time, my phone died. Why didn't you pick up when I called you at midnight? Oh, my phone died. After a while, it just becomes a regular story that you tell when the truth is it didn't die. You turned it off because you was doing what you was doing. Especially when you when you when there's so many scenarios that we've seen that the phone didn't die. The phone didn't yeah. die. We know it didn't die because because it didn't die because now I checked the phone bill and you was you was using the phone. You just had me on do not disturb. You know what I'm saying? You was in this area. You wasn't at work, as you said. So what I'm saying is that the story comes up so often that after a while you have to start questioning whether or not it's, 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 did he reach or did he not? And then what, and I think what compounds the matter is that still one shot should not in any way justify 90 plus shots at a person and hitting them 46 times. That should not even be a thing. That that is that is excessive and it's outrageous. And so the local jury, which by the way, the police were able to testify in the grand jury hearing. And someone asked, as a matter of fact, it was uh brother uh Dewan, um, who is one of the lead organizers for this particular Jalen Walker and also has been in Kenosha on other other issues. Um, uh, you know, he's, he's an, he's an activist and a leader. And as I was speaking to him, he said, well, they allowed the police to testify. And he asked me this question, when does anybody ever testify against themselves? Because the grand jury proceeding is a, is when the district attorney is supposed to be trying to use evidence to prove the, this, the, 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 their theory for these people doing wrong. The Why would they continue? They never usually, they never give the 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 opposite sides witnesses the opportunity to testify. The, the grand jury is not calling my witness to testify. The grand jury when they're trying to present charges against me, exactly. That doesn't it doesn't. That's, make not, that's sense. not. They're not trying to do that ever. If but it only happens attorney, in police cases. If the district attorney is presenting a case. That is because the district attorney is saying, I think something is wrong here because the district attorney could easily say, I'm not even bringing a case. Right. Like I don't we we have already determined that this was a justified shooting. There is no reason to go to a jury. And that's it. If they decide to go to a grand jury and present a case, it is because they are supposed to be believing that something here is wrong. I'm going to present the facts to you, and, and they you have and they have the legal and they have the legal language and the legal backing that says that something is wrong. Well, Not because they say you can indict a ham sandwich, but you so can't indict a pig that kills us. 
well, I mean, you want you want to be spicy today, but I'm saying that I want I want people to I want to drive this home because I want people to hear what we're saying. If a district attorney brings a case against somebody to a grand jury, it is because the district attorney believes that there's something foul that has happened. The district attorney does not take a case that they don't believe in to what well, they're not supposed to, to a grand jury, because the district attorney could easily say, we found no harm here. There's but no case. Is this, because, but that's not, that doesn't work though, right? Because they understand that do, the due process, do, do due process, they, they have to look at the, the, the whole scenario, right? And they understand if they just keep telling the people all the time that we're not presenting nothing to the grand jury and letting the people decide because that's 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 a strategy. They no, but listen, but listen. Okay, let I'm, me let you finish. I'm, yeah, yeah. What I'm doing is saying I'm trying to get to one because I know what you're saying. What you're saying is that it's bullshit. It's kangaroo court. They bring the case so that it can seem, so it can appear that they're trying to do the right thing. But what yeah. would the right thing be? The right thing would be that you feel like, hey, you know what? There could be some shit here that needs to be looked at from a jury of your peers to decide whether there will be a case. We know from Daniel Cameron that they presented a case to the grand jury claiming that they were trying to find the facts and present what they had to see whether or not a grand jury believed that there was there was foul play or wrongdoing by the police in the Breonna Taylor case. And when they went to the grand jury, we didn't say it. The grand jury came, the jurors came out and said they never presented us with charges for Breonna Taylor. We never had any any opportunity to decide whether we wanted to bring a case against those officers to indict them for killing Breonna Taylor. So I'm going back to the point that these people and I know we got to get off of this point, but it's important. We may not get to some of the other things here, but this is important. So if you are presenting a case to a grand jury that says these people right here may have done something wrong. If you bring those people in and let them testify in their uniform, possibly, or, you know, whatever, whatever you need to do to humanize them. And they tell their story of how afraid they were and how this gunshot made us all afraid. And then Johnny was shooting. So I started shooting and this and that. And the third, you are basically having a trial in the grand jury process and allowing these officers to sway the opinion of the grand jurors. Exactly. That's it. That's what they did. But that's that's the reality of the situation, right? Because, you know, a lot of times what they try to do with grand juries, right? Most people don't know, like especially complainants, don't know that they have the opportunity to testify before a grand jury. And most of the time, your lawyer will advise you against it, right? Because... They say, whatever you say in that grand jury, you're locked into. A lot of times people say, fuck that, I'm going to court anyway. And I'm going to say it. And, and, and it gets thrown out in the grand jury. They're like, well, I don't really see what's wrong. And they, and they diminish, they dismiss a lot of things. A lot of a lot of people don't even know that can happen. They can do that. But, exactly. But in this these situations, what they do is they 
they make sure they go get the officers. Of course. The prosecutor, the prosecutor who is supposed to be prosecuting those officers, he informs them, you have the opportunity to come to the grand jury. So you're going to present your case. I'm not going to do anything to fight your case. I'm just going to present your case. And then I'm going to give them charges that I know don't even fit the case that you're on. That's the other thing they do, right? They say, we're going to give these officers, right? And then we're going to charge them with murder in the first. We're going to charge them with murder in the second degree. Means there's premeditated. We're going to charge, give them charges that don't even fit the shit they did. So then right. we're going to tell the jury, listen, if oh, you feel God. like, mm-hmm. exactly, if you feel like this officer intentionally just got out of his car and woke up and said he was going to kill this man, then you have to find him guilty of this. If you don't, then we can't charge him with this. If you feel like this officer right here was had animosity or he did this and that, then you have to charge him. But if you don't, then we can't charge him with that. So the jury is sitting there looking like, well, I don't know if he had not animosity. giving me that's what happened with I don't, know if he had any anim- I don't know if he woke up that morning and say, yeah. you know, premeditated. It wasn't pre I don't think it's premeditated, but I know he did some shit that, that killed the man. Like, so we the charges for you kill somebody. Even if it was an act of duty, like wrongfully killing a person, where's those charges? They don't give them those charges. So the right. jury is forced to say, well, the shit that you said, I can't say that. And this this doesn't fit that. Wow. And that's what happened. If, if, even if we look at in certain cases, that's what jury, jurors do. This, I mean, prosecutors do it all the time. Right. They prosecute. They overcharge. They overcharge. They do it on the ones they want to get out. They overcharge on purpose. But. They over, they overcharge a lot of people a lot of times, just regular civilians, and then get to the trial, and then add the lower charges because they like we, you we, you're not going to beat us at grand jury anyway. I'm going to present enough evidence that the jury can say, well, if he presents this evidence, he say he's going to present, then we can find him guilty of that, right? They don't even come with the evidence when they have the officers. They're not going to say, look, we got this evidence that says this. We got these shots that said this. This man was hit this amount. They don't give all of those those things. So you get indicted for some shit and you, you it's nowhere near with the charges you should. But they get to trial. And then during the trial, they realize that the evidence doesn't support those higher charges. So they say, listen, judge, we also want to add this manslaughter and we want this depraved indifference. We want to at all of these lower charges, because we know we we might we we haven't proved that, but we know we proved these things. They don't do that shit for the cops. Never. No, and they never going to. So justice for Jalen Walker. Justice uh, for Jalen. There's still a chance that the the feds will come in, investigate, and take the case um, and indict the officers. And what was y'all y'all said? Arrest, charge, indict. Arrest the police. Arrest the police. The police. Right. The victim. Yeah. So. Um, moving on though, I just want to get this in quickly. We only have a few moments before our guest joins, but you know, gun violence, everything that happens to black people eventually happens to everybody else. Right. And that's why the saying goes, you know, and I, I don't know it specifically, but there's, there's a saying out there that first they came for one group. And I didn't say anything because I wasn't a part of that group. And then they came for the next group. And I didn't say anything because I wasn't a part of that group. Then they came for the next group. And I still didn't say anything because I wasn't a part of that group. But then they came for me. 
and nobody said anything because they weren't a part of my group. Now, I don't know if the last nobody part, left the anyway, it was, That's what it, I was about to say. I don't know if the last part is right, but there was nobody left to defend me because they had came for us all, right? That's what happens. Quick story. In the Women's March, we said as the Black and Brown women, we wanted to deal with gun violence because it was an issue happening, especially with Philando Castile being a, 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 a shot and killed in a car in front of his child and the, and the mother um, and, and trying to tell the officer, I have a gun and the officer still shot him, a licensed carrying person, um, individual black man. And we said gun violence is something we want to deal with. We tried to get the white women to work with us on it and they went crazy. Why? Now, some of them, of course, marched with us. We marched 18 miles, um, you know, from the NRA to the department. In a monsoon. In, in a monsoon, horrible conditions. We did that. And there were white women who were out there. They supported it. But there was a whole bunch of people who gave us holy hell. Why? Why would we do gun violence? Y'all are bringing y'all political stuff into the women's uh, march. This is not right. This is about race. This isn't about, you know, all people. And what, what does this have to do with women's rights? And then the school shootings got crazy because, you know, we had already had at that point Columbine and you had uh, Sandy Hook, but it wasn't happening as frequent. And they started being more frequent as we see there's even an uptick since then. And that's when white women got together, uh, specifically the shooting that happened in, it was in Florida. I, I forget the names of them at this time. It's been so many, but there was the shooting in Florida. And that's where March for Our Lives came together. And guess who it was? White women. And when it, it came out of a movement of young people, but white women showed up heavily to support their children, to support a movement to protect white kids from being shot in schools um, and from mass shootings. All of a sudden, it became an issue that mattered to white people because it affected their communities. So now what we are seeing happening across the country, we've been saying, Gun violence is a public health crisis. We need people to get involved. We need resources. We need the federal government involved. We need local state governments to help deal with mental health, to deal with poverty, to deal with all the ills in our community that would make someone pick up a gun. And you know, if they do it for us, they do it for everybody. If you take care of Black people, you will take care of the entire nation. If you address the concerns of the African-American community, you will, in fact, heal and solve problems for every community. But people don't care when it's just Black people in Chicago and Louisiana and Alabama and New York City, this and that, in urban areas. They don't care. Now, let's see what's happening. So Ralph Rawl, he gets shot by this white man, which is, a, he. Did, I mean, I was getting ready. I'm going to let you say what, anyway. So Ralph Rawl, thank God he lived. Shout out to our brother, attorney Lee Merritt, who's on that case and working with his family and the students who have shown up and shown out and all those individuals, the, the Kansas 
um, Kansas, I think it's the Kansas City, Missouri newspaper, the Black-owned newspaper. They say they were the ones to break the story. Uh, I, I came into contact with the story from Sean King. We see that Sean and his fundraiser has raised $3 million. So give everybody the credit where credit is due for the work that they've done to bring it to the point that a man who was released for shooting a 16-year-old child, a baby, he's 16, right? I'm right. Right. For the, you know, shooting a 16 year old baby for no reason at all, that they went from him being released, telling his story about how, oh, he was concerned, he was afraid, to the people speaking out enough that they had to finally arrest him and charge him. So you have that. But then they do a split screen because you know, whenever something happens to black people, a racial incident, they always want to show you how, oh, well, white folks are dealing with it too. And what they mean, some in the media, to discredit one situation or to try to desensitize people, um, you know, to the killing or the, or not the killing, but the racial violence, what they're actually doing, they, they, some of them are like, oh, no, it's not just that, you know, let me show you white people have it happening too. But what they're mm -hmm. doing is actually making a case for what we've been saying, that what comes for you will come, what comes for me will eventually come for you. So right after this, after Ralph Yarl, a white woman in upstate New York pulls into the wrong driveway and somebody shoots her. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then some parents and their six-year-old child was outside playing basketball. The basketball rolled into the neighbor's yard and the neighbor shot them, which, by the way, it looks like it was a black man that shot them for the basketball coming into his yard. Then the cheerleaders, the girls, white girls, the, 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 the parents in the basketball situation with the six-year-old, they're white folks, too. Then the, the cheerleaders... They happen to accidentally get into, almost get into the wrong car. The driver shoots several of them. This situation transcends race, the issue of gun violence in America. No, the reality of the situation is that's what it is. You know, keep the thing the thing. And we've been trying to say that all the time is that it's going to come for all of us. Guns are a big problem in America. We don't want to talk about it, but... Most people die from gun violence in America. We have one of the, those are one of some of the highest rates in, in, in the world of gun violence in America. And, and it doesn't happen outside of America. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? There are countries where there are people, nobody is dying from guns. And people are trying to say, no, it's not, it's not guns that kill people, it's people. Well, it's people everywhere. So mm. why is it America the place where it's plagued by guns? You mm. understand? Because guns are not everywhere. That's mm. what we're trying to say. The, the people are everywhere, but the guns are not everywhere. So the guns is the problem, you know, yeah. and when we look at these situations, man, the same thing, you know, in Harlem, I, I had to go to a situation where they shot a boy in the face last week. You know, somebody got shot in Queens like every day there are people getting shot and at rampant rates. And it is because America loves its guns more than it does the people. That's right. It That's really, right. really values guns, and people are, oh, y'all want to take our guns? Away. I don't want to take your guns. Away. I don't care. I just don't want people that I know are not educated enough, are not intelligent enough, don't have the um the mental fortitude enough to have automatic and weapons. Period. To have weapons, I think there should be, you know, a process for people to be able to to have walk around with weapons. And and, and if you don't think that, if you think that any crazy 
psycho individuals should just be able to get a gun because they're right. human beings. It just doesn't make sense. And we're proving that every day. It's people that wake up that they were like, yo, they was going through something mentally. Right. And they keep saying that they, they're able to to draw, you know, the picture for a timeline of people who was having mental health issues, who was dealing with depression and all these things. And they draw these timelines. But there was no process to circumvent them from getting a gun or walking out their house and doing something. Right. There was no process that says, OK, if you are, you are a gun owner, everybody in your house has to have some mental this and that. We need to know what's going on. Everybody there, we need to know the process, what you do to keep these guns away, who has access to these guns. Like, there should be real shit that's going on. Because if I got, if you got a psycho 16-year-old and you right. owner, and you ain't stopping them from getting, yeah, such then thing. you should be charged. If, if, you, if you're not putting those guns out of the way of 16 and 15-year-olds who, who have no understanding of what's going on, and they kill people, then you should be charged. I guarantee you that'll stop people from from either having the weapons or giving having these kids they be able to have access to them. You know what I'm saying? But there's no there are no laws that are preventing anything. So uh, somebody who who's dealing with mental health issues decides that they want to commit suicide and say, "Fuck it, I'm about to kill me." So I'm gonna kill ten or fifteen more people with me today. You know, there's there's where's the ramifications? You know, where the consequences for anything? The parent just goes on and say, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, he was going through, Johnny was going through something, but I didn't think it was this bad. No, if you, when you know Johnny was going through something, that motherfucking gun should have been in the safe somewhere right. that Johnny couldn't That's get to. Right. That's right. You know what I'm saying? That's so right. if, if we're if we not saying that, then I don't know what we say. I mean, that's it. The bottom line is, like you said, yes, people do kill people. But if you got access to uh, equipment that helps killing people be easier and you can kill more people, that's a problem. And a lot of our folks, black folks say, well, we should just have more guns and I need a gun and you need a gun. And we, so everybody just needs to be able to kill everybody. And wild, shoot wild West, baby. Let's just go. Let's go for it. You get me aggravated, you step on my shoe and I got a gun. And that's what's happening. Now. That's what's happening. Literally, when road, I'm seeing that shit in, in, in my parking lot. You, you got in my car by accident, and now this is how we start shooting each other. It's out of control. You fired me from a job. You I don't like how you looked at me. I'm just feeling the way. We can't have that. Because at it least- It doesn't even make sense. At least you might, I'm walking, I come in your driveway, maybe the ball, you know, maybe the, 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 the issue is that it keeps happening over and over again, that you keep being in my driveway or whatever. Okay, in that situation, at least- me and you could get in a fight, but if you got a gun to shoot me, that's a whole different set of circumstances. I guess they're on. Let's bring them in. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox, 
you can't go around it. So you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's how we own it! So, folks, we are here uh, with a really, really important topic. You know that on our show, at, at least every other month, we try to focus on the body, the, the health of our bodies. Of course, we always talk about our mental health, um, but we know that Black folks getting checked, um, and also getting the the proper care is something that we still as a community have not uh, been able to accomplish the goals of like being more healthy. So we are constantly attempting to within the street politicians platform, we talk about all the ills of the world, who shot John, what's happening with oppression and racism and this and that, 
But what we do with our bodies, with our temple is, is equally important, if not even more important. So during the month of April, there are two very, very, very important weeks. Um, one week we focus on black maternal health. And then in, a, in the next week, we focus on national infertility, right? So looking at these two issues during the month, having folks to really focus on this. And obviously for our female listeners, our women out there, this is important. But what we continue to say is that our men need to know what is happening with the women in their lives. And they also need to know about their daughters. The, this, the you know, not just, you know, your, your woman that you're dating or your wife, but your daughter also matters. Being a man who knows how to help identify issues, uh, being a man who understands some of the challenges that your daughter may go through or, you know, your sister, your friends, this is important. So we ask that everyone take the information that we're going to get from two powerful individuals. One of them is a friend to street politicians. We've had her before. She's our beautiful sister, Coach Jessie, who is a fibroid survivor. She also wrote a book called In Fibroids. And if you want to check out her platform where she shares so much information about fibroids and taking care of yourself, your, your body, um, and healing thyself, it's thedetoxnow.com. The Detox detoxnow.com. And then I just learned about this gentleman that we're bringing uh, to you all today. And he has a specific title that I am very, very interested in. It's Dr. John Lippman, uh, who is an internal, no, interventional radiologist. An True. interventional radiologist. I can't wait to learn more about that. Uh, Dr. Lippman is out of Atlanta, uh, and he was honored by President Biden, um, you know, acknowledging his work. But also what I think, my son, for you and I, the most important thing I read in his bio is that he volunteers his time at Morehouse College in the School of Medicine, uh, where there are young Black men becoming doctors um, and, and in the, the health and wellness space. And he, as a white man, because he's a white man, has been there volunteering his time to really? students. So. Absolutely. But there's also <laughs> a lot of a lot of black women, too. Don't forget them. Oh, that's right. Because at, they come at Morehouse over. School of Medicine. Right. Because they come over from Spelman, don't they? And, and, they Clark. Can, and other places. Yep. I didn't know. So yeah. that's the part that makes you cool for our show today, Dr. <laughs> you got credit. Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> that very much. You got a little bit of credit. A little bit of credit. Little credit. Well, we also have uh, a scholarship in my dad's name. He was a primary care physician for many years and Morehouse is an outstanding place for primary care. So every year a Morehouse School of Medicine graduates with a scholarship in my dad's name. Wow. Uh, so we have a scholar every year and we also donated a good friend of mine passed away from pancreatic cancer, Simon Baby. Um, he was iconic here in Atlanta for many, many years in the radio industry, Radio Hall of Fame good friend. Um, and I've donated uh, money that there's research in pancreatic cancer going on at MSM in his name. So we really feel an, uh, it's important. I serve Black women and I am in the Black community all the time trying to educate women and trying also to impact philanthropy. And that's what Pre President Biden uh, gave me a Lifetime Achievement Award for my philanthropy 
uh, my work in the black community, but um, I really want to talk about fibroids today. Well, that's what we want to hear about. So like Tamika said, we're really interested in your title. What exactly does that mean? Was it encompassed? Well, interventional radiology is a subspecialty of radiology. We use radiology imaging to guide us all over the body. We can treat almost any surgical condition without surgery now. In fact, we can treat aneurysms in the brain without touching a hair on the patient's head. Uh, and so what I specialize in is replacing hysterectomy for women suffering with uterine fibroids. So our patients come into our center. I, I founded the Atlanta Fibroid Center uh, many years ago, and our patients come into our center. They leave the same day with a Band-Aid and their uterus. They get all the symptoms from their fibroids eliminated in a very short procedure that takes me about 30 minutes. And they have some recovery for several hours and go home with a Band-Aid. Um, it's one of the biggest medical breakthroughs for women suffering with fibroids uh, because they get told all the time they need surgery and hysterectomy. And hysterectomy is the second most common surgery performed in the United States. And half the population doesn't even have a uterus. So, and the most common reason why we do it is not cancer, which would be appropriate. It's for these benign fibroid tumors, which affect up to 80% of African-American women. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. So you could ask, why are we essentially amputating black women for benign disease? Hmm. So an interventional radiologist means that you are someone, I mean, I'm just making an assumption that I'm, I may not be right about, but you're someone who goes in and attempts to, like you said, try not to have to go to the most extreme cases, but try to be interventional and help people to save their uterus. Right. Like, uh -huh. There is a uterine artery that supplies each, each half of the uterus. And each of those uterine arteries are like branches of a tree. There's a big trunk at the beginning, and then they branch like a tree, getting smaller and smaller and smaller branches till you get out to the leaves. The fibroids are the leaves of the tree. And I know what size those tiny peripheral branches are, and I can plug them up. And without a blood supply, the fibroids die. As they die, they soften and shrink. And as that softening and shrinking goes on, the woman's symptoms disappear. And she goes home with a Band-Aid. That's it. We just get access at the top of the right leg or occasionally the left wrist, and we can travel anywhere in the body. In this case, we're traveling to these uterine arteries to knock out those fibroids in a very quick procedure where she goes home with all of her parts and gets the symptoms treated and she leaves with a Band-Aid. So why, why isn't this something that's talked about? Like, I, I Yeah, I've been doing this procedure for over 25 years. Mm. But the gatekeepers of women's health are gynecologists and gynecologists are surgeons. They're all trained in surgery. So when you go to a surgeon and some, I mean, we get referrals from gynecologists, but not, so it's not all surgeons and not all gynecologists, but the vast majority of them want to operate. Uh, that's how they make their livelihood. And so they conveniently forget to mention UFE. This is the procedure I do, uterine fibroid embolization, UFE. Um, and so they just conveniently don't mention it. And women are entitled to know all the options, not mm. just the surgical ones, but unfortunately they just hear about surgery. 
And so help us here to understand what's happening and why are we not? And we've talked about this before, uh, you know, why we're not hearing more options for women to save their uterus. Yeah. Um, First of all, you know, just I I really want to piggy bank on what Dr. Littman said. There is a business here. Okay. And the business um, when it comes to black women's health, you know, outside of the agenda related to neutering black women, which we'll just leave that right there, right, Mm -hmm. is really around um, the financial and the big business around surgery, right? Now, you know, I want to go a step further because you spoke about symptoms. And, you know, let me just be clear. I have had myomectomies. I've had the the UFE and I've had a hysterectomy. So I've had all of the surgeries you referred to, all right? And um, the key thing, one of the main reasons why a UFE was not a consideration early on is there are um, risks related to, there are more occurrences of at least when I was doing it and the research that we've seen recently, that there still is a higher risk of miscarriage um, when it comes to women who've had UFE. And when that, when women are considering, you know, their fertility and um, having children in the future, uh, that's why it's not the first thing they want to go to, Okay. Um, so for me, I did have the UFE. I had it after I had my daughter. I had three myomectomies before that. Um, however, one of the things with the UFE, and it's very important, you know, I am very much about, like you said, Dr. Lippman, making sure we have all of the information. That's why in our book and fibroids, literally every surgery, every treatment option, medical, alternative, as well as interventional radiological and and more are all provided because we want to make sure women are fully educated about all the options. And the thing that's really important is that if you still, you have that procedure, but you don't change the lifestyle or the symptom, the root issues that contributed to them, women will still find themselves having the same issue over again. So I like for us to reframe the conversation around fibroids. Yes, it's a condition, but it's also a symptom of root causes happening in your life. So in my scenario, the fibroids came back. um, I had it in 2012, the UFE in 2012. And then 2014 was like one of the hardest years of my life in terms of stress, which is stress is one of the contributing factors to fibroids, okay? And when we came to the, a year later, my fibroids had not just returned, but they had tripled in size. Okay. Now I had, of course, I had the the major difference in my life. I still had a very bad diet. All right. Um, I had endocrine disruptors. When we look at the root causes, we, we break down in the book and fibroids. We talk about um, estrogen dominance. We talk about um, endocrine disruptors, which are connected to the, la- the, the beauty products. Okay. Um, as well as plastics and lifestyle products. We talked about, of course, um, uh, stress being a major one, vitamin D deficiency. So mm. if we're not aware of the root causes, it doesn't matter what they do, they're going to end up in the same scenario. So here I was, and this is before I knew any of this work. A year later, my fibroids had tripled in size mm. and all my all my um, surgeon told me, oh, you just need to have a hysterectomy, Dr. Lippman. That's exactly what he said. Instead of saying, right. Not hey, that Dr. Lippman said it. You're no, saying no, 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 no my surgeon, because Dr. Lippman is my surgeon. He's an interventional radiologist, right? I'm saying I'm concurring with him that what was I told I needed, which was a hysterectomy. Right. And all of this, I peel back now and I'm like, my goodness, I look back. If our women are not being taught about the major root factors that are mm. contributing, it's like mm. chop off the tree all you want, ladies. 
you're going to end up with the same issue because the roots are still deep, okay? But to Dr. Littman's point, we need to know, because there are many women who are in scenarios where they are bleeding out, Dr. Littman, mm-hmm. are having scenarios where they need intervention, literally, right? right. They need The Band-Aid they need is to save them from developing life-threatening anemia or to, you know, to, to develop fibroids that are so large that they cause hydronephrosis where they have kidney failure. And some of them need that radical intervention. You know, I teach women how to use lifestyle, like, you know, stress management, herbal supplements, dietary, nutrition plans to reverse these conditions. But many need something that's very, um, what do you call it, um, interventional, like um, rapid right now. And Mm -hmm. that procedure, UFE, is minimally invasive Mm -hmm. so that they can turn around and now have reclaimed their lives in that moment. But I want to say with caution, don't continue your lifestyle the same way it was, or you're going to end up finding yourself in the same place. Hmm. That is why the education is necessary. Yeah, I would agree. The root causes, unfortunately, nobody knows where fibroids come from, but once they arrive on the scene, they grow with hormones, primarily estrogen. And as you mentioned, estrogen is pervasive in the food supply, it's in the water, hair products, because what the gynecologists do is they give you two choices. And they ask you, are you interested in fertility? If you are, you get a myomectomy. And if you don't, or you're not interested in fertility, you get a hysterectomy. What is a myomectomy? What is a myomectomy? Myomectomy is surgically cutting into the uterus, cutting out some of the fibroids. And that's where the big problem is. The reason you had three myomectomies, and in my opinion, no one should have more than one. You're allowed one, But after one, everybody, in my opinion, should have UFE if they're going to do anything, because um, every time you cut on that uterus, the fertility diminishes significantly. And our fertility rate after UFE is every bit as good, and I would argue somewhat better than after a myomectomy, which is surgical. Um, 60% of our patients that wanted children got children, which is, and our patients tend to be older. And you mentioned about- yeah. So what is the, because you, I just want to know, what is the percentage of people who have the same experience as, as Coach Jesse did with, you know, I, I, mean, I talk to clients it's, all the time who have Yeah, it's, it's yeah, very common to, to get You said it's a very low percentage. So what, it, based on your numbers, what is that percentage? The percentage of people that need another UFE or, or another or procedure? Yeah, um, very low. If you're 40 and over, I've seen some women that were less than 40. They grew new fibroids, but fibroids shouldn't what come back in a year. Saying low, give me like what uh, is five, give me something I can five to ten percent of people that we've seen okay. over 40 need another procedure. Like okay. as high as 10 percent. It's pretty low. Um, over 40, Dr. Littman, you know, so I was younger than 40, right? But right. A, lot, a lot of women but get the You, ca- you came back very quickly. You, I mean, within a year or two, you said it tripled. I mean, no, but, I, something- but, I, but that it was a 10 year journey. My first, you know, like they kept coming back because of the lifestyle as well as because I was doing IVF. So my body right. was because you, you said earlier, Dr. Littman, which I understand your point is that there is no, uh, one specific thing that everyone knows brings on fibroids, right? So we don't know right, well, what the one there thing. There are studies. There are studies that prove there are definitely directly linked things that are proved they contribute to them. Let's so, let's not say okay. that we have no well, idea. I mean, we, we don't know how to prevent them, so we don't know exactly where. We know what chromosome is involved. We just don't know the gene. And once we know gene, 
then we can really do some effective preventive stuff. But in the meantime, we do tell our patients, try to limit your exposure to estrogen. And that can be through a number of ways. Mm -hmm. Try to avoid red meat, non-organic chicken, dairy, try to you know lose that excess body fat. Estrogen is stored and produced in body fat. It's one of the reasons why African-American women disproportionately suffer with fibroids over like say Asian women who have very low body fat and low risk for fibroids. It's not the only answer by far. I see lots of very fit African-American women with very low body fat and big fibroids. Um, vitamin D is really important. It's right, definitely that's shown. So I'm just, I don't I want to cut you off, but I want to make sure that our listeners understand. That's the point that I'm making um, where I understand you, Dr. Lippman, even though I agree with you, Coach Jesse, in saying that different people have different things. So it's not like there's this one thing that causes fibroids in all people because some people have good uh, eating habits, but they may be dealing with severe stress issues. Uh, you know, some people have other health things. So there's different things that can happen in different people. And that brings me to something you already answered, but we may be able to delve into it a little more. I, I see when I'm in the South, I see white women online at the Popeye's and the, the you know, the chicken joint. It's not just us eating fried food, um, you know, smoking and um, drinking and doing and they have stress. So I'm right. still trying to, I know you're saying that there's a difference, but I'm still trying to figure out why is it that African-Americans who may have the, you can have black women who are living exactly the same as some white women, but there's still something that gives us right. these issues that the white women don't have. Go ahead, Coach Jesse. Well, let, you, you asked him first. So go ahead. No, I'll, no, I'll, I'll, I, well, whoever. Go, go there ahead. are three, I mean, there's, we talked about, we know estrogen contributes and estrogen is produced and stored in body fat. So we tell patients, there are things you can't control. You can't pick your parents. If you look genetically, it, fibroids run genetically stronger in African-American families, but you can't do anything about that now. So there are things you can't control and there are things you can control. You can control your diet, your exercise, try to, everybody knows their ideal body weight for their frame, and they can try to lose weight, exercise, um, try to you know do some other th things that help with stress in their life. Vitamin D is really important. It's a very powerful anti-fibroid growth hormone. Technically, it's a hormone, not a vitamin, but only 10% of African-American men or women get adequate vitamin D. And that's the most powerful anti-fibroid growth hormone that's ever been shown. Green tea extract is another one, but nowhere near as good as vitamin D. And so you can get your vitamin D checked and you can supplement. And so there are things you can wow. do to help your fibroid situation. I can piggyback on that. So there's another piece. So yes, vitamin. So when we look at the differences, white women don't deal with vitamin D deficiency. We do because our melanin actually blocks the absorption of vitamin D hormone, the, the, of the, the UV rate, UVB rays that the body turns around and converts and makes the vitamin D hormone with. Okay. So that's really important. Most women, most black women are vitamin D deficient. And it is like Dr. Lippman said, one of the number one actual hormones that helps our body fight fibroids. Okay. Research shows it. We break it down. It's in my book, literally. However, the other thing is you talked about, he talked about obesity how, you know, obesity it, it is, is a major issue. But when we talked about um, the beauty products, 
the um, environmental work group just did a recent study and 78% of the products, and I want to get it right here, that are marketed to black women contain ingredients that were classified as moderately hazardous or highly potential hazards. The potential hazards were ingredients linked to cancer, hormone disruption, and reproductive damage. Okay. Now we're not just talking about relaxers here. We're talking about um, but that's one there, thing. Relaxers is one right. thing. It is. Right. No, 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 it is. I'm saying it is in that group. So I'm just making sure people, yeah. I hear you. Mm-hmm. It, absolutely. So beauty products, including relaxers, gel, our lotions, our um, shampoos. I did a, um, it's on my IG feed. I did an actual scan. I use this app called Yuka app and I scanned the products on my shelf, my beauty shelf. And literally threw a huge shopping bag of, of, of products out. Many were even black owned. Why? Because they contained phthalates and toxins that were not just bad, but very damaging to our hormone disruption as well as reproductive damage. All right. So that's a big thing when it comes, even when we're wearing our hair natural, we still need to be aware and make sure that we're choosing clean products. Okay. And then other thing is, and I'm going to say this, white women are stressed. However, Black women carry stress in our bodies at a level that is not even potential for white women because Mm. of our history in this nation and because of what we deal with on a daily basis. We deal with racism and sexism and we carry the stress in our bodies. The trauma of racism, literally, it upregulates our body's response to all of these triggers. Upregulate means it increases your response to it. Okay, so when you look at as a black woman, I I was just thinking about everything that happened with Ralph Yarl last weekend. I was God. Oh, my God. I was literally heartbroken, praying, crying. I couldn't even recover from that and and worship God and be happy that he survived before we saw about the teenagers, the two little boys who were grabbed out of their cars, um, the the cheerleader yesterday. Like every day, black people are being broken and 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 abused and oppressed in this world and that's not that's not even talk about in the corporate world Tamika this is the work you do every day you see it right so understand that yeah but I ask you because when we say it they say we race bait and oh this is trying real. to scare no, people no, we carry this let me no. tell you something. I'm gonna give you an example we're not even just talking about you know there's the mass trauma that we deal with which is okay yes we see there's there's the trauma of police brutality. There's a trauma of uh, of blatant racism and um, the systemic you know healthcare access inequities. So many things that we deal with, right? And then there's the things that we deal with personally, the microaggressions on the job or in the or or, or a professionally. You know how many times you say I have to work ten times harder than the woman next to me in order to be seen and respected understand this means that my body is pumping cortisol all the time at a radical level that I can't even recover from. Understand? So my body is in an inflammatory state every day, all day. That's why in our practice, what we teach women is to reverse their stressors, is to learn to value and um, know that they are enough and understand that they need to know, be able to say no and understand how to prioritize their self-care because if they don't make those self-care, including, um, of course, nutrition, of course, better beauty products, of course, being healthy in their relationships, et cetera. You know, my whole ethos is detox living, life free of toxic thoughts, people, habits, and foods. There's a lot we need to heal from, right? And we need to start with ourselves. 
Because if we don't do these things, we're going to just find ourselves in a constant state of illness. That's right. Constant state. So that for me is a major difference as to why we're disproportionately. We don't just get fibroids. We get them larger. We get them more symptomatic, right? Because of those issues. And that is a big difference when you look at women, mm-hmm. black women, excuse me. Excellent. You said so, Dr. Whitman, you know, we know we, we, we don't have that much time. I just want you to give us, you know, some real tips, some real something strong that we can that we can take back that our listeners can take back. How do they prevent? I mean, what are the preventative measures? What are the best things we need to do going forward? What is the process that you recommend? And, and just give us enlighten us. There's, yeah, there's so many things Dr. on that, but I'll Dr. give you some. Dr. Littman, let me just add to that so you can also say, what are the questions that women need to be asking or their husbands, you know, their brothers, their fathers need to be asking and be mindful of when we're in the the medical offices? Well, when it comes to fibroids, they need to ask, you know, about all the options and not just the surgical ones. And so they're entitled to know that. You're correct. Uh, Black women get them earlier, more numerous, they're bigger, and they're more likely to get a hysterectomy and more likely to die in the hospital. Um, And we've got to stop doing hysterectomies for benign tumors. Fibroids are not cancer, they're benign. The average age of hysterectomy, less than 40, and I've seen way too many women, less than 30. I spoke at Tuskegee on, on my dissertation was We are going through the Tuskegee experiment of our time right now with fibroids. The one important point is no matter what your gynecologist tells you, you do not need a hysterectomy for fibroids. UFE is one of the biggest breakthroughs for women. I'm sorry it didn't work uh, for Jesse um, like it does for the vast majority of women. I don't know why that happened. It's individual. Sometimes that happens. But for the vast majority of people, once they get to that phase where they need something done, UFE is way better. We've had numerous children born after UFE. I've had multiple sets of twin births. Our births are typically full-term and vaginal. Once you have a myomectomy, you're going to get a C-section if you do get pregnant. Also, a myth that I'd like to dispel is that gynecologists tell patients every day that once they're done having their children, they don't need their uterus anymore. That's absurd. The uterus is a very important for women psychologically, sexually, bone health, heart health, you name it. But I hear that all the time that, oh, my gynecologist said I don't need my uterus anymore. That's preposterous. Um, so if you go to the doctor and you and your symptoms aren't being addressed, or if you feel like you're not being listened to or dismissed in any way, find another doctor because um, I see women that think their period is normal and it's absolutely not normal. So we sh- should have talked of, like about the symptoms because a lot of women don't recognize heavy bleeding as being heavy because they've been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. If your period is so heavy that it interferes with your quality of life, that needs to be treated no matter what your hemoglobin level is, no matter what your gynecologist tells you. And if you need to see somebody else, see somebody else. So don't, don't let these things, you know, we have over a million women in the United States right now that are suffering on the sidelines with fibroids. They don't want surgery and I don't blame them. They don't want hysterectomy, but that's the only option they've been given. It's, 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 
a big physical and mental drain on these women, and we can end it very easily uh, with UFE. Does you how much does it cost, and is it covered by insurance? Yes, all insurances cover UFE, including Medicare and Medicaid. And we take both. Um, the cost is less than a hysterectomy, um, but it really is individual. It depends on your insurance plan, but it is absolutely less because we don't use a hospital. Anytime you go to the hospital for any kind of imaging, radiology imaging, or any procedure, it's way more expensive. And so we're not, our Atlanta Fibroid Center is not in a hospital. So the cost is much less with us than the traditional hospital, if you will. Wow. Coach Jesse, I, I want to ask you one question and then we're going to let you guys go. I know I said 1235, but this is just too good. Too good. There is a very popular thing happening where people are celebrating some Black women, especially being overweight, right? Mm -hmm. It's this big celebration. Yeah. And I think we should certainly always it's called body shaming if you if you say that a woman shouldn't be away you body shaming at this point i don't know where right. that came from i don't right and and i and i want us i want us to celebrate the beauty of all so right. i'm not here in any way to talk down on or to say and we won't mention certain individuals because this is not about that but i do not believe that it is healthy to be overweight right so could you speak to that for us, because I think this is going to be one of the most important clips <laughs> that comes out of this show. It's many things you all have said that's very powerful. I feel sorry for the editors. Um, <laughs> but but well, I don't even think it's women. I just think it's people, people in general. This is this is this is very true. People, people who are overweight. What can you share about the concept or this new thing that? You know, I'm fat and I'm proud and you can be fat and this is, you know, nothing wrong with it. And let's celebrate the beauty of, you know, being overweight. What would you say about that? You know, number one, we should always accept and love ourselves. Right. But we should also love and accept ourselves so much that we won't leave ourselves where we um, less than what we can be. And what I mean by that is when you realize that your legacy, your ability to fulfill your purpose on this earth can be curtailed by the health issues and conditions that are tied to being obese, right? Being overweight. You have to face the honest truth that there's, there's a difference between accepting who you are and um, settling with where you are, all right? That's two different things. And the reason it's critical is because when I look every day, my motivation is my daughter, right? I want to be here. I want to live for the rest of, I want to live as long as I can to be there for her and the loved ones you have in your life, whoever they are and the purpose and the dreams you have, will you be here to actually fulfill them? You have to be healthy in order to do that. And the unfortunate truth is that diabetes, fibroids, like Dr. Littman spoke about, heart disease, all of these things are multiplied factors when we deal with obesity. Obesity, that one thing multiplies the occurrence of all these other issues, mm -hmm. right? So it's sort of like how we took the N-word and we said we're empowering ourselves with the N-word. You know what? I don't use the N-word because there's too much tied to it in terms of how it criminal, how it literally was used to kill us. And the idea of 
obesity being something that, or, or, or being overweight, being just happy with yourself in terms of where you're going, the truth is that it's actually holding you back, right? So we need to face the truth. What's holding us back? And if it's holding us back, it doesn't mean that we don't love ourselves where we are and accept ourselves who, for who we are, because our weight is not who we are. Who we are is us. It's our essence. So it's about not letting ourselves specifically be held back by that. So that reframe is really important. There's a difference. There's a total difference between loving and accepting who you are and settling for where you are. Huge mm. difference. Wow. Well, that sounds like sounds like gospel right there, man. You know, I, I just want to say thank you guys because you educated me on a lot of things. You know, I have sister and I have a lot of female friends and everything. So I just want to just be clear about what's going on here. I, I think that I'm going to start telling people to work on them fibroids. Get some fibroid checks. You know, let's marry these things. Something we didn't say, and I want to make sure everybody knows, no matter how young, as soon as you are, you know, in your early 20s, because I see clients who are, they've had fibroids since they were 19. Like, Mm. we need to ask for sonograms. We need to say, you know, something's wrong. My heavy bleeding is an indication, like Dr. Littman said, something is wrong. Stop allowing doctors to say that heavy bleeding is normal, especially for Black women. And when when you see that, listen to, I do this thing, it's called listen to your bae, your body, your advocates, and your experts. And I want every woman to understand that when you are in the doctor's office, there are always two experts in the room. It's you who are the expert on yourself and Mm. the physician who's the expert on their practice, their their industry. Never let anybody disregard or diminish the value of your voice. So if you know your body and something's wrong, Find somebody else who will listen and understand and cooperate with you in terms of the vision you have for your health. Wow. Well, look, it seems to me that both you and Dr. Lipman have great bedside manners, uh, that that's a part of the treatment process is to really listen to women and to try to understand what they're experiencing. And I know that you all know it's very difficult to find that, very difficult. In fact, I didn't have a primary care doctor. As you said, Dr. Lipman, your father um, you know, was a primary care physician. I didn't have one and I almost kind of still don't have one for all of these years. In fact, the nurse practitioner has been seeing me um, and I've been going from the nurse practitioner to specialists for anything that I need to, you know, check on because the primary care physicians within my network, I didn't like them. I didn't like how I was treated. One of them, I knew that she knew me for what I do every day. And I could tell there was animosity in the room. I could feel the energy from her. So I stopped seeing her and then I have not been able to find, and especially to find a black primary care physician, it is very difficult. So it is a challenge. And I know so many women who are out there listening, understand that stress in and of itself. Trying to just figure that part out is stressful. So I want to thank you, Dr. Lipman, Dr. John Lipman, and also Coach Jesse for joining us on Street Politicians today. We have been educated and we intend to share what we've heard here today as much as possible so that people will get the information they need. UFE, UFE is something I have never heard at 42 years old. Right. Never heard about it. So and it's been going on for 25 years. And that's wow. that's the real shame. It's well proven, safe, and effective. Outpatient, home the same day with a band-aid. Um, it's a it's a revolutionary procedure that's been around a long time. It's just 
the people that perform it are different physicians than the gatekeepers of women's health, the gynecologists. So you got to unfortunately do your homework. You got to be your own advocate. Um, and if you're not getting the answers you're looking for, you got to look elsewhere. And I wish people knew about it. And I'm, I appreciate the time to educate and to let people, hopefully someone will see this and, and spread the word about how good UFE is. And we also have to do fibroid research. I mean, if you look at fibroid research, it gets almost no funding. And that's why we don't know where fibroids come from. And just to, to give you an example, fibroids gets about $15 million a year in research, yet it affects up to 80% of African-American women. They think wow. around 26, 26 million women suffer with fibroids at a $35 billion price tag per year. That translates to 69 cents per person affected. And now if you look at something that affects white people, Caucasians, cystic fibrosis, there are only 30,000 people that have cystic fibrosis, yet it commands 94 million in, in research. That's $3,000 per person and, a, and an impact of less than a billion a year. So you have fibroids, which affect lots of people with huge impact, getting 69 cents a person in research, and you get this kind of niche cystic fibrosis, which affects 30,000 people getting 94 million in research, 3,000 a person. It's just, it's one of obviously many disparities. It's the disparity. racism. Thank you. Alive and well. Thank you. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Thanks again. Thank you for Thanks having us. That's how we own it. There are two experts in the room. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink 
That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One is you because you know your body. And the other expert is the doctor or the healthcare professional. That was a powerful statement from Coach Jesse. It's the truth. It's the truth. I mean, nobody can't tell you how you feel. And if you allow somebody to tell you that something you, you that hurts you don't hurt you or something you feel is not there, then you it's know, something you feel is different. People, people wait for extreme pain to identify that there's an issue when really it's a change, right? Like you have to pay more attention to the change, the subtle change versus the pain and suffering because that's like the point where we're like, oh, I, something's already, yeah. yeah. You got to know when, you, when something shifts about your body, you, you know, when your metabolism, something about you don't fit, when you feel off, then usually something is off. That's right. That's right. So- Shout out to Coach Jesse. Shout out to Dr. Lippman. You know, that was a very enlightening conversation, man. Just hearing those things. I didn't even, what is, what is it called? Um, the UFE? UFE. I didn't even know that existed. You know, well, I heard about my grandmother had a hysterectomy. Mm. So I remember that, you know, that pr procedure. And I, I believe actually that my mother had one too. I'm not going to be sure, but I know that my grandmother had. I'm 100% sure that my grandmother had one of those. And she used to talk about it, you know, and it seemed like it was just a common thing. Yeah, and it, it really is something that they offer you or advise you to do all the time. Like it's something, it's a regular conversation at the doctor's office. In fact, there are people who are getting them without any issues because they're afraid if they, if, it, if cancer, uterine cancer, uterine, and all yeah, of that, it, if it runs it, in your family, get rid of your uterus. That's that's just crazy that we've been taught things like that. But, you know, 
Shout out to them for giving us more education and look in to the UFE. Look into that. I really want to know, you know, what, what you what you get from it. Because anything that limits somebody having to go into your body and operate and rip and tear and cut, you know what I'm saying? And remove. And remove. I mean, but you, you don't have to do any physical anything with this. And, it's, and he's saying that the results are way higher. So, hey, I'm all for anything that, you know, removes pain and and suffrage from my people. So well, now with that said, pain and suffrage for my people. Um, my I don't get it. So we was having a conversation earlier about the protest that we did in Akron, Ohio for Jalen Walker. We you know we were in unison working with the local shout out to Freedom Block who had organized you know, um, a press conference along with a march. And then later on that evening, there was action that had occurred inside the Cavaliers versus the Knicks game, which the Knicks lost terribly. Um, but we weren't actually there for the game. We wanted to highlight, you know, the non-indictment of the officers who murdered Jalen Walker. So while we were doing this action, which, you know, the action was we had a banner in which said justice for Jalen Walker, and during the ESPN post-game report, which is in the lobby of the Cavaliers arena, you know, we were going to be behind this, you know, given millions of people who watch the playoffs, who watch ESPN, letting them know that we want justice for Jalen Walker. So this was an action that, you know, that we organized along with Freedom Block. Well, Freedom Block organized. Freedom Block organized it and we were involved with. So as we were standing there and the commentators were giving their take on the game and we were behind it. There's a clip. If you, you can go see it, hopefully they'll put it in, you know, but there's this clip of us and we're behind saying justice for Jalen Walker, justice for Jalen Walker. And the only person that comes to pull down the banner is the one black man standing there. Now there's all types of other people there. There are white people there. There are security guards. Every, nobody is touching us. But this one black man who didn't even seem to be a security guard, he just looked like somebody who was doing it on a post, he grabs and pulls down the banner. Nobody else is doing it. So that's the first situation. And I asked him, I said, brother, they don't pay you enough to do that. Like, I don't even think that's in your job title to grab and engage civilians here because that could be something that causes, you know, outbreak. All you have to do is instruct us, hey, you can't do talk. You didn't physically have to grab that. They don't pay you to do that. So he said, oh, it's my job, brother, whatever, whatever, brother. Then he let it go and he moves off. So we walk in, then another black man comes behind us. Oh, y'all got to go. Y'all got to go. Once again, it's a, it's a bunch of white officers, security guards, people that work there, concession people. Nobody has said anything to us. But the, another black man is behind me arguing back and forth. Oh, no, no, no. He's arguing with you. Oh, no, And I'm like, bro, why, why, are you, why are you more angry about us trying to get justice for a black man than the white people are? I don't understand why white people are applauding us as we saying it. And you behind us trying to impose your will. You on my back. You, you're about to cause a physical altercation situation because you overprotecting the white people's situation. Like, why? And I don't, this is what my, I don't get it is. I don't get why black people 
seem like they got to protect the white people stuff more than the white people. The black people, it's always black people that are the biggest hindrance to us standing up for our own people. It's all we like. I very rarely have these interactions, physical interactions or face to faces with white people. And in, in that situation, as the black man was walking behind us and, 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 and me and him is face to face, a white security guard with a white shirt and his security, all that. Pushes him back and says, brother, don't even worry about it. And I'm like, how the white man got to push you back and tell you not to engage us? When that's his job, he's the security here. You're not even a security guard. And you're well, engaging would, us doing that man's job. I would say one thing. And it's interesting because I want to say, you said the Black people are always the biggest hindrance. And I want to I want to say no to that, right? Because I want to say no, well... When we were out in Louisville, Kentucky, it was the white people who were out there with their guns. I never was approached by a black person or never had the fear or the concern of a black a black person shooting me in opposition. I never felt that. It was white men and women this is true. who were out there with their weapons trying to intimidate us. But the people that we had to fight with and and deal with the drama and almost getting into fights with that was supposed to be on the people same that say side. And that and you ain't do this and this and that. The people that go online every day and try to attack you. The people that you did shit for and and tried to help and and sat up in your circle and you thought you was cool. That got up on there and said you ain't shit and this and that. It's the black people. That's who did it. You know. So this that, that, those are the things. I I just don't I don't get why. Why we want to discredit and this and this like people all day we going out there we fighting for Jalen Walker, you know, and there's photos that that are, you know, very very drastic online, and it's black people still on there to my oh tell us talk about the black on black crime why you don't put that on your page, and I'm like well it's about sixty or seventy of those in the last two or three months that I talk about the violence in our community I say. Why don't you look up the hashtag boycott black murder and mm. stop just talking because you know you you don't even know, but you're using that to distract and try to discredit us from trying to get real justice from a man who was shot by people who were supposed to protect him and they're not being ca- accountable at all. And you utilize your voice. Oh, my son, it is not. And this is why me and you are always at it about this issue. You are sitting there responding to people who know exactly what you have been doing. And they are purposely saying why you don't do this and that. That is their job. They are trying to fresh. They know it. Nobody, nobody doesn't know. There's not a person who follows us online or who is a part of our orbit, they're in this space, they're reading, watching, making comments that does not know that Boycott Black Murder exists, how long we've been doing violence intervention work, how you spend time dealing with the streets and what goes on in the underground of the community. They know it. They are purposely trying to aggravate you, discredit you, fill up your comment section with doubt, for newcomers, that is what's going on. They know. 
And you sit there and be like, why don't you go and do this? You, you are, you are making yourself old before your time. I'm not being old at all. Is that because those things I don't you listen to me. I only respond to shit when I have time to do it. I don't I don't engage. I don't I don't personalize any of it. It's just sometimes when you make a statement that I know that is easily to dispel, I dispel it. But I'm talking about that in that situation, you know, when there was a physical face to face with black people and they did all they could to try to discourage and and stop a message of us trying to get justice for a man who was shot 46 times, shot at 90 times, you know, who was unarmed. It's crazy to me. Mm. It's crazy that you even in your heart can justify because you didn't even have to do it. It's not even like this was in your job description. If you, all you have to do is say, hey, you guys can't stay here, right? And call somebody else to do, get somebody else to do it. Get somebody else to do it, bro. Tell them, look, I'm not physically engaging no people. I told them they had to leave. If they don't do that, y'all supposed to call the officers. Let them do their job. You say, hey, you know, I'm just letting you know that you can't do this. If I if I don't if I don't listen to you, after that, there's nothing in your job description. You watch people do snatching grabs all the time. The people, even the regular security guard in the store ain't grabbing them because it ain't in his job description. A regular security job, only thing to do is deter you. If you do something that could threaten his health. He don't have a weapon. He can't. Do, he ain't supposed to physically engage anybody. And that is a I don't know. They might be told. That no, they no, 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 no. The security guard can only do something. If, if you threaten his life or you got a weapon or you do something physical, he does not. All he has to do is contact the police at this time, because right this time he's a visible. He, um, he visibly can see. He can report. He can do this. He can deter. He can tell you that you can't steal. But his job is not to physically when they physically start grabbing people, that's going above and beyond their job. They don't they don't have to physically. I don't think, touch they, I don't think I don't. Mm -mm. I promise you this. There's no security guard who is required to put his hands on anybody. There's no requirement. Look it up. There's no requirement where security guard is required to put his hands on you. He's he can deter you. He can try to do whatever. He can call a authorities and let him know something happened, but it is not within his job description to physically put his hands on you. If he wants to, he's justified and he feels like he could do it, but it's not in his job description to, if he doesn't do it, he didn't um, fulfill his job. Okay. Promise you that. I ain't gonna argue with you if you say so. So, with that said, <laughs> Black people, get out your own way. Stop trying to stop us from doing something that's going to help you because unfortunately we dying at rapid rates. Police is killing us. We killing us all type of things. And when we fighting to stop those things from happening and utilizing your voice, your body and your anything to try to stop the, the real narrative and the real justice that we trying to get. And when you're doing that, you on, you only hurting yourself. You ain't hurting us. You only hurting yourself. And with that said, shout out to Dr. Lipman. Shout out to Coach Jesse for the education that they gave us today. Women, please, please check your bodies. Fibroids is a serious thing, but there are alternatives. You know, you don't have to get hysterectomy. That the craziest number he said was that that's the second biggest operation. And, and, and women are not even, wow, that's crazy. He broke that. Like, that's unbelievable. This the stat that he gave us. But anyway, go check your body, man. We love you. 
Men, get your women to check their body. Get your sisters to check their body. Daughters, everything. Make sure that you in tune with yourself. Brings us to the end of another episode. Number one podcast in the world, Street Politicians. I'm your host, my son. This is Tamika Mallory. She's not going to always be wrong. I'm not going to always be right, but we will both always, and I mean always, be authentic. Listen to Street Politicians on the Black Effect Network on iHeartRadio. And catch us every single Wednesday for the video version of Street Politicians on iWomen.tv. That's how we own it! Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hills and Adonis, mm-hmm. back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then mm-hmm. a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.